Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. market 
To start, we're continuing to premiumize our flower portfolio through enhanced cultivation tactics and a new genetic strategy. We're on track to insource 100% of our premium and mainstream flower supply by the beginning of Q1 fiscal 23. I'm pleased to share that Supreme's industry-leading cultivation and post-harvest operations have been implemented throughout our existing canopy operations. And as a result, the strains we're harvesting in our Smiths Falls and Mirabelle facilities are seeing higher THC levels, enhanced aroma, and improved terpene profiles. In addition to the focus on improving our flower quality, we're taking steps to better adapt to the fast-evolving preferences of Canadian consumers, including developing a robust genetic pipeline. This will ensure we can deliver a consistent supply of new genetics at commercial scale to support more frequent rotation of new and unique flower strains. Notably, we're accelerating new product launches by implementing a smaller, cross-functional team to improve the efficiency of new product development, which is leading to faster product delivery to the market. And in order to drive improved performance in market, our Canadian sales team has been executing focused drives to increase distribution and velocity. Early results are showing increased distribution in Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec through the end of January for Doja Flower and Deep Space Beverages and Gummies. The team has also revamped the retailer engagement program, hosting several education sessions with store managers and bud tenders to showcase the enhancements in our product quality. In Canada, we've maintained number one market share in premium flour with the launch of 10 new strains, including Doja 91K, Seven Acres WAPA 49, and Seven Acres Craft Collective Jet Fuel Cookies. We expanded our premium product offerings across the Deep Space brand with the introduction of Deep Space, Deep Space Express Gummies, our first gummy with the maximum allowable 10 milligrams THC and a line extension in beverages with the launch of Deep Space Lyman Splashdown. We also began shipping Deep Space Orange Orbit flavor this past month and anticipate bringing three new nostalgia-inspired flavors to market over the coming months. In Q3, we rebranded Tweed and launched Powdered Donuts and ChemDog Flower under the redesigned brand banner. These new higher THC strains have drawn very positive consumer feedback, noting high moisture content, aroma, and bag appeal, which is due to the improved grow techniques, including hang drying all flower to produce higher quality bud with increased moisture. Tweet flower is now packaged in a heat sealed bag to preserve freshness with 90% less material by weight than the original tin packaging and new color profiles by strain type that make it easier for consumers to find what they're looking for. Strong consumer demands for these new strains has helped improve our share of the mainstream flower market over the past few months. In our edibles extract business, we launched our new TWD Max THC Indica Oral Spray, a product that delivers the maximum THC potency allowed by regulations in a value-priced format. This was followed by the launch of TWD Max THC Sativa 
and TWD Max CBD oral sprays in January. These innovations have kicked off the rollout of a revamped edibles extracts portfolio that we believe will offer greater value to consumers and significantly strengthen our competitive positioning in the category. On the back of our new product introductions and continued focus on premium and high THC, we see signs of stabilization and are starting to turn the tide in our Canadian market position. Looking to the U.S. in the areas of greatest opportunity for long-term growth, I'd like to now highlight the momentum of our CBD business, as well as review the advancement of our THC ecosystem. The U.S. is our area of greatest potential, and we've been highly encouraged by both Stores and Bickle and BioSteel performance. Stores and Bickle posted record quarterly revenue of $25 million in Q3, driven by strong demand for the Volcano Onyx and Mighty Plus vaporizers. Stores and Bickle is clearly already on an annualized 100 uh, is an annualized $100 million uh, revenue business. The Stores and Bickle brand continues to be the gold standard for cannabis vaporizers, with the Volcano Hybrid included in a list of the best weed accessories in Esquire magazine, and the Mighty Plus included in the Forbes Holiday Gift Guide. We expect continued growth from this marquee brand. Canopy's hydration beverage brand, BioSteel, also delivered a record revenue quarter, driven by gains in distribution of BioSteel ready to drink. We're seeing continued momentum with the recent signing of retail authorizations by Albertsons, Rite Aid, Food Lion, Stop and Shop, and Sheets, and over 20 additional authorizations across grocery, convenience, and drug chains. Combined, these authorizations add nearly 15,000 stores across the U.S. Working closely with Constellation Brands, we've initiated a program to onboard new distributors to help drive the distribution of our CBD brand portfolio into additional U.S. states. As a result, Canopy CBD business has grown 250% year-to-date with our product portfolio now available in brick-and-mortar in e-commerce sites covering a combined 33 states in the U.S., including Martha Stewart CBD, which is the fastest-growing CBD gummy brand in the U.S. Whistle, our CBD vape that we launched in October with retail partner Circle K, is already the number one CBD-only vape brand in IRI-measured channels. We're in active discussions with a number of additional convenience store chains and expect additional Whistle retail partners to be on board in early fiscal 23. The footprint for our Quattro beverage increased within brick-and-mortar stores, with the door count increasing sequentially 225%. Now I'm excited to speak on how we're executing our THC strategy in the U.S. In Q3, we established a cross-functional team of senior leaders across Canopy and Constellation brands to oversee the advancement of our U.S. THC portfolio. This team developed a robust strategy to achieve our future ambitions in the U.S. THC market. And Canada and Canopy's agreement to acquire Acreage and Wana, along with our investment in TerraSend, upon for permissibility of THC in the U.S., are at the foundation of this plan. 
We continue to be impressed by WANA's performance on both sides of the border and see this as an example of how Canopy might further leverage brands and products from our U.S. ecosystem into the Canadian market. With an exciting product pipeline, WANA has strengthened its U.S. footprint in Q3 with the signing of a license agreement in Nevada, which brings their total number of states to 13. In Canada, WANA remains the number one edibles brand with 38% share of gummies in track channels. Similarly, Acreage continues to execute on their strategic plan, resulting in a third consecutive quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA. In fact, analyst estimates point to calendar year 2022 adjusted EBITDA of 65 million US dollars. Acreage also strengthened its balance sheet with the recent signing of a $150 million credit facility, which will help build depth in core markets. In addition, Acreage closed an acquisition in Ohio, establishing a market leadership position in the state. Canopy has clearly established paths into the US THC market with the acquisitions of Acreage and WANA, as well as our conditional ownership stake in Terrasen, all upon federal permissibility of US THC. I want to be clear. There is strategic intent behind the US ecosystem that we're creating. We're not just a Canadian LP. We're not building an MSO, and we aren't building an alcohol company. We're developing a robust U.S. THC ecosystem that's focused on acquiring beloved premium brands like Stores and Bickle and WANA and backing them with unmatched innovation and operational capabilities while leveraging unparalleled distribution to rapidly scale across North America. We'll have more to say about this strategy over time as appropriate, but I believe there's never been a better time to invest in Canopy and that no one is better positioned than Canopy to be the long-term leader in North American cannabis. With that, I'll turn it over to Judy. Thank you very much, David, and good morning, everyone. So I plan to focus my comments on a review of our third quarter results, actions we're taking to achieve profitability, and perspectives on the near-term outlook. So let's start with a review of our third quarter results. Our Q3 results point to a start of revenue stabilization with 7% sequential revenue growth, led by strong growth of our U.S. businesses, which is offset by softness in our Canadian recreational business. During Q3, we generated net revenue of $141 million, representing an 8% decline over the prior year. Excluding acquisitions, our net revenue declined 17% versus the prior year. Our reported gross margin in Q3 was 7%, and our adjusted gross margin was 13%. Adjusted EBITDA in Q3 amounted to a loss of $67 million, which improved by 1% versus last year. And free cash flow in Q3 was an outflow of $168 million, representing a 24% greater outflow versus the prior year, partly due to the timing of working capital. Now let's dive deeper into revenue performance in the third quarter, starting with the global cannabis segment. Global cannabis sales decreased 20% year over year and excluding the impact of acquisition was down 34%. Our total Canadian recreational business declined 25% year over year, driven by the following. B2B revenue declined 23%, 
due mainly to declines in our flower sales. Our flower sales continue to be impacted by ongoing price compression in the value-priced flower category, as well as a limited supply of single-strain, high-potency flower products. Now, the good news is we're starting to see new single-strain flower products hitting the market with strong reception, and we expect additional supply to come into market in the coming months. Our recreational B2C cannabis sales in Q3 decreased 28% versus the prior year, which was largely driven by increased competition. Our Canadian medical cannabis sales were down 7%, as higher average order size was offset by a lower number of orders. Our international and other cannabis business had a few puts and takes during the quarter. We grew our US CBD business by 25% versus the prior year, we also benefited from a bulk sale of flour into Israel medical market that generated approximately $4 million in revenue. This was more than offset by declines in our C3 and German flour business, resulting from increased competition. Turning to other consumer products, Q3 net revenue increased 19% versus the prior year. Biosteel had its record quarterly revenue increasing 130% year-over-year due to strong distribution gains of ready-to-drink beverages in the U.S., as well as higher international sales of its ready-to-drink and powdered beverage mixes. Stores and Bickle also posted a record quarterly revenue, increasing 5% year-over-year, which was driven by strong consumer demand for the new limited-edition Onyx Volcano, as well as the Mighty Plus vaporizers. And this work declines 2% year-over-year due to lapping of strong prior year sales. Now let's now move to gross margins. Reported gross margin in Q3 was 7%. Our adjusted gross margin was 13%, which excludes the impact of $3 million of inventory step-up charge from the Supreme acquisition, as well as the $5 million charge related to inventory write-downs resulting from strategic changes to our business. Gross margin in Q3 was further impacted by the following. First, we continue to see pressure on gross margins from lower production output and price compression in the Canadian rec business, notably in the value-priced flower category. Second, as we scale up our U.S. businesses, including our CBD products, as well as biofuel, we are still experiencing underabsorption of fixed costs. We're also facing higher supply chain costs, such as freight, that many in the industry are currently facing. And third, decreased contribution of higher margin C3 revenue also negatively impacted our overall gross margin. These factors were partially offset by payroll subsidies in the amount of $7 million that was received from the Canadian government pursuant to COVID-19 relief program. Now, turning to operating expenses, Demonstrating continued discipline, our overall SG&A expenses in Q3 decreased 19% versus the prior year. G&A expenses declined 47%, primarily due to reductions in staffing and professional fees, as well as the benefit of payroll subsidies. Excluding the payroll subsidy benefit, G&A expenses declined 27% versus last year. R&D expenses in Q3 declined to 53% versus the prior year, 
principally due to a more focused and disciplined approach to R&D investments. Sales and marketing expenses increased 20% year-over-year, primarily due to higher marketing investments behind Biosteel and our U.S. CBD brands. The Supreme acquisition also increased our sales and marketing expenses when compared to the prior year. Now, turning to free cash flow, our free cash flow in Q3 was an outflow of $168 million, which represents a 24% increase over the prior year. CapEx declined to just $1 million, which was down 98% from the prior year. The increase in cash use, the operate, use in operation during Q3 compared to a year ago reflects increased interest paid as well as the timing of working capital. I'd like to now take this opportunity to speak to the efforts underway to improve our profitability. Taking a step back, as an organization, we built the structure and operation that can support a significantly higher revenue base than we're currently generating. And while we remain optimistic about the long-term prospects of this industry, as well as Canopy's position to succeed, we recognize that we need to adapt to the realities of our business today. We've already made significant progress right-sizing our footprint and realizing cost savings from our previously announced cost savings program. Through the end of third quarter of fiscal 22, we've generated approximately 85 millions of cost savings across both COS and SGNA. Our combined sales and marketing, GNA, and R&D expenses are down 17% or 63 million lower year-to-date in fiscal 22 when compared to a year ago. And even excluding the payroll subsidy benefit, our SGNA expenses have decreased by 8% year-to-date, and this is inclusive of additional expenses that came with the Supreme acquisition. Now, that being said, as consumer preferences continue to shift and the Canadian market structure remains challenged by low barriers to entry and onerous regulations, these cost savings are not enough for us to achieve profitability in Canada. So a key component of our path to profitability is further simplifying our businesses and optimizing our expenses, and work is well underway to finalize our near-term revenue, operational, and expense plans necessary to achieve profitability in Canada as soon as possible. Let me offer a bit more details on our SGNA expense structure. Our sales and marketing expenses comprise of around 40% in advertising and promotional spending and 60% in sales and marketing overhead. We've made deliberate decisions to continue making strategic investments in these areas in our core markets, with a sizable portion of these investments currently being spent against emerging growth brands in the U.S., including Biosteel, Martha Stewart CBD, Quattro, and Whistle. These strategic investments account for approximately a third of our total selling and marketing expenses. We also have our corporate-owned retail stores that carry a significant portion of our selling and marketing expenses. These expenses account for nearly 40% of our total selling and marketing overhead spending in Canada. Now, we plan to continue to make strategic investments where we see high potential for payoff, but in a more targeted way. And in a market like Canada, where advertising is severely restricted, 
We're focusing more on the ground game to win with retailers. Now, when you turn to R&D, we've already shifted our R&D focus away from long-term clinical trials to areas where we see near-term commercial benefit. And we plan to further tighten our focus and invest in R&D that is core to our strategy and has a tangible payoff in the near term. Now, digging into our GNA expenses, the biggest areas of spending are public company costs, finance, IT, legal, and regulations. And we've built some of these functions with an expectation that our revenues would scale quickly and require a sophisticated level of support. However, until our growth catches up with our aspirations, we need to reclaim a more entrepreneur mindset, which means being more nimble and scrappier with our resources, while also identifying opportunities to further simplify our processes or structure to generate additional GNA savings. So as you can see, recognizing that our overall expense structure is built for a larger revenue base than our near-term projections, we are taking measurable steps to ensure that we can be profitable in Canada while investing for growth in key strategic areas such as our U.S. THC strategy. So now I would like to provide some perspectives on our near-term outlook. From a top-line perspective, in Canada, we note that retail store closures caused by elevated COVID-related staff absences has likely had a modestly negative impact on retail sell-through as well as inventory replenishment orders. This could potentially present a headwind to our Canadian recreational B2B and B2C business in the current quarter. We do expect sales declines to begin to moderate in Canada as we focus on stabilizing and growing our share of premium and mainstream segments of the Canadian recreational markets. In Europe, we expect our medical sales to be down on a year-over-year -year basis due to increased competition in our German flower business, as well as the vestiture of the C3 business, which closed on January 31st. As a reminder, C3 generated net revenue of nearly $16 million in Q4 of last year. Our US CBD business in the current quarter is expected to be up modestly year-over-year, as we lapped last year's sales that were boosted by the sell-in of Quattro Beverages. We expect biosteel revenue to continue to benefit from additional retail authorizations and resulting product load-in. For stores in Bickle, we expect sales growth on a year-over-year -year basis as the brand continues to benefit from strong consumer demand for recent innovations while we're closely monitoring our global supply chain. From a margin standpoint, the divestiture of high-margin C3 business during the current quarter can be expected to present a modest gross margin headwind. We expect increased volume throughput and positive mix shift in Canada to contribute to a gradual gross margin improvement, though price compression remains a key watch out. And headwinds from startup costs in the U.S. should begin to abate as we scale up our CBD and CPG businesses that this could be offset by continued increase in supply chain-related costs in the near term that we're closely watching. And finally, we now expect our full-year fiscal 22 capex to be in the range of 45 million to 60 million, 
which is down from the prior range of 100 to 150 million. The decline in CapEx is primarily due to the deferral of certain projects and the elimination of CapEx related to the planning and construction of a new facility for C3. With the sale of C3 now complete, it's been removed from our budget. So in conclusion, we expect actions we're taking will drive improved execution, accelerate top-line growth, and allow Canopy to achieve profitability in Canada while also continuing to make strategic investments in key growth areas. We plan to share additional details around our path to profitability once we complete our annual planning that we have underway. Uh, this concludes my prepared comments. Uh, Kelsey, David, and I would be happy to take questions from analysts. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. And if you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. To ensure an efficient call that gets to the questions of as many analysts as possible, analysts are requested to limit themselves to one question. And one moment, please, for your first question. Your first question does come from Vivian Iser from Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Morning, Vivian. Good morning. So very encouraging to hear about the distribution gains in the U.S. I think, you know, we've all been been waiting for that and, and nice to see that come through. David, I don't know if it's premature, but you, can you comment at all on the velocity that you're seeing? I know there's a number of new product offerings that, that hit the market, so anyone you would want to comment on that gain distribution would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, Vivian, so the so so a lot of the distribution is fairly new distribution, right? So it, it is a bit early. And what we see is um, – uh, you know, velocity levels that are kind of consistent with our planning algorithm, but there's a lot of variability. In some areas, we see really, really strong velocities that would be consistent with any competitive products on the shelf. And in other areas, we see that the velocity is not so strong. So, so working with uh, our distribution team supported by, um, uh, you know, our friends at Constellation, we're, we're we're, we're, we're working our way through the, um, to try to understand lessons learned in terms of where velocity is exactly where we need it to be and where maybe it isn't. So that means maybe we need to do some more in-store activation or we need to, to do some more work with brand development in a, in a given region or in a given format. But you know, I would say we're, we're where we would want to be or where we would expect to be at this point, but I think there's a there's, there's, there's a lot of work to do that, you know, should flow through our results over time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
And your next question comes from Tammy Shen from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, could you give some more specific examples on the progress you're seeing in your Canadian flower business? So, for example, what level of THC you're seeing, terpene content on the new strain, how the consistency is. And I'm also wondering, if I look at the current point-of-sale data um, on Doja, for example, it's been gradually increasing the sell-through, you know, month over month, but the absolute dollar amount is still not enough to move the needle. So I'm just curious, what really needs to happen to accelerate that? Is it just you need to get up the learning curve and grow more of it? Or when you talk to provinces, do you find they're saying there's many LPs and they can't make more room to take on additional Doja products? Thanks. Yeah, so um, first of all, on the on the the, the the flower question, yeah, for the for the the premium brands in our portfolio that we're most excited about, um, I would say that we're seeing consumer demand in the mid twenties uh, THC range. So, and that's up from where where we would have been talking about, you know, even six months ago or nine months ago. Um, and so that I think highlights the fact that this. Uh, that the flower business in Canada is fast moving, and we need to stay on top on top of evolution of of strains and so forth. But I think you know we're seeing um, that mid 20s. Um, you know we're starting to um, do a lot of work around terpene profiling, so that uh, that we can find a, a a good way to speak to our consumers around uh, terpene profiles uh, related to some of our specific strains, um, and. And look, to get to the question around once you start to produce that kind of flower, which we now are, you need to be able to then produce it consistently at scale. And as we said in our prepared remarks, we'll, we feel pretty comfortable that we're going to be in that position by the beginning of uh, our next uh, our Q1 for fiscal 23. And you know, at, at, you're, you're right to call out Doja. Um, Doja in particular, the 91K strain has done really well for us. Uh, I would say the, um, the, the, the anything that what's held back Doja, if anything, has been our ability um, to keep uh, to keep 91k the 91k strain supplied with the you know at the right level of THC. So I think it's less about um, provincial boards and more about you have to offer the right products. And then as Judy called out in her script, Tammy. Um, we're upping our ground game a little bit. We're spending more time with bud tenders. We're spending more time at retail because I think that's how we, uh, you know, we can we can make sure that our value proposition is consistently put in front of those consumers. So, yeah, really excited by the way about uh, about the growth of Doja and where it can go. And, and Tammy, I would just add a couple of things to David's um, response. One is, you know, when you look at our premium brand portfolio and, and, and the broader portfolio strategy is continuing to really focus and tighten our portfolio even more. So uh, there are, you know, a couple of premium brands in our portfolio, frankly, like Houseplant, um, that we're not necessarily focused on. So I think that is going to show up from the market data standpoint, um, some of that share uh, dynamics that you're seeing. Uh, the other thing is just the timing of when those products actually get onto the shelves too, right? When the, we talked about the distribution drive that we're seeing and, and, and Doja Flower making traction in some of the provinces, and I think you will continue to see that, you know, flow through. If you just look at our, our sales in Q3, our premium and mainstream mix is now 50%. Um, you know, this was 
uh, 30% plus a year ago. So we're really making good strides in terms of improving mix, how quickly that really flows to, to retail and how quickly that shows up in the retail data. I think that will, that's going to take a little bit of time. Your next question comes from Jarab Jean from Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my question. So I have a question on gross margin for the quarter. So if I, you know you you disclose that you have a 14% adjusted gross margin and a 7 million payroll subsidy from the government. So if 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 I assume that your consumer products revenue is coming at say a 30% gross margin, that would suggest that your global cannabis revenue has a negative gross margin. So can you just help us understand why that is the case and what will it take for that to become a 20% gross margin kind of business? Yeah, I'll take that question, Gaurav. Um, you know, for us, clearly gross margin and improving gross margin remains a, a very uh, focus, key focus area for, for Canopy. Uh, and as I said in the prepared comments, when you look at our gross margin, uh, we are continued to be challenged by lower production output. Uh, as well as um, some of the price compression that we're seeing in the marketplace. And when you look at our Canadian operations um, and, and driven by the lower production output, we have the underabsorption of fixed and indirect costs uh, that are flowing through our gross margin performance. Uh, we've also talked about some of the higher supply chain costs that we're incurring that many of the, the companies are facing in the industry as well. Uh, and then I would say, in addition, we do have a sizable non-cash expenses in our, our cost of goods sold in Canada that flows through uh, the, the numbers. In Canada uh, alone, we've got around $36 million of DNA expenses that are part of cost of goods sold. So certainly that impacts our gross margin. Um, and then we also have some accounting-driven amortization of our standard cost revaluation that we're still um, you know, flowing through as part of our uh, flower strategy that we've been implemented. So a lot of noise in, in the gross margins, um, but I think our focus is really looking to improve our gross margins and, and, and looking for a few areas. Number one, it's um, as we really look at our premium um, mix, so really focusing on premiumizing our portfolio, we do think that focused premium product portfolio will drive uh, improvement in our uh, mix and drive gross margin, uh, uh, gross margin expansion. The other thing is we've identified additional opportunities, frankly, to really increase our cultivation productivity, uh, streamline processes, as well as additional productivity initiatives, um, which would um, be looking at distribution, indirect, and variable spend buckets. So a lot of um, work is underway to make sure that, that uh, we're tackling all of the areas of opportunities, uh, and we do expect over time we'll see gross margin expansion in the Canadian market. Your next question comes from Chris Carey from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Morning, Chris. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good to be back. Um, I, I just wanted to follow up on that line of questioning around you know, profitability in Canada. And it sounds like there's some good initiatives around um, expanded distribution, uh, you know, more focus at, at retail, uh, you know, speaking with bud tenders, really trying to understand the consumer, and, and, and that all makes sense. 
And I suppose there's a concept here where our sales leverage with some of these initiatives over the next three to six months is, is expected to help quite a bit. But I guess, you know, the other side of that is what, what if, you know, some of these initiatives take a little bit longer? Obviously, this is a very challenging and, and competitive market. And David, I'm curious your thoughts here as well in the context of, you know, some pretty significant capacity reductions that you made as you as you came into the organization, specifically on the West Coast. And and, and I wonder your um, appetite for maybe making um, more significant changes to the asset base here in the context of what looks like a pretty successful non-cannabis portfolio and a lot of the things that you're that you're doing in the U.S. as well. So appreciate any perspective there. Yeah, I, I would say, Chris, um, you know, I think I, as I said in my prepared comments, um, we recognize that our revenue base is lower than, um, you know, I think what we asked, uh, projected to be to really support the expense structure that we currently have. So um, really looking at tackling across various buckets where we can streamline the processes as well as additional GNA savings and SGNA savings, that will allow us to be profitable in Canada, recognizing that the realities of where we are today is different than what we had anticipated. So I think what you will hear more from us in the, in the next call is just a lot of those initiatives in place to make sure that we're streamlining processes, um, we're looking to optimize expenses to get us to that profitability as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, and Chris, what I would what I would add to that is kind of like set the tone, which is we're only growing for premium flour in our facilities, right? So we're we're creating focus there. Um, we're streamlining our portfolio of brands um, so that we're really focused on Doja, Seven Acres, DNA, Tweed, uh, on uh, you know on the flour side uh, to create more of a simplified operating environment, and then. When you get through all that, you get to, we have three facilities, Kincardine, um, Smith Falls, and Mirabelle. And we think that each of those facilities um, with this strategy can um, improve on the performance uh, from a cost perspective that they've delivered on in the past. And, and I might throw out one, one caveat, um, and, and this would apply to some of our advanced manufacturing activities in Smith Falls, and that is, the facilities are built out, um, and so they're admittedly overbuilt, uh, and so they create that depreciation and amortization drag that Judy talked about in her last comment. And so we've really been focused on uh, as much as possible getting the right throughput, the right brand set, the right, uh, the right SKU set, so that we can actually optimize our margins um, with, a, with a lot of attention on um, on kind of uh, uh, cash margins or EBITDA kind of margins, so that we're, we're really there are some things that we that we can't easily change, uh, like again the size and scale and scope of our drinks facility, and so we're operating it as efficiently as we can, knowing that it's a long-term drag on our um, on our margins. Your next question comes from Pablo. Zuanek from Canto Fitzgerald, please go ahead. Good morning, thank you. Um, David, just, just talking about the export markets, right? I know that we talk about Canada and, and a lot of focus on the U.S., 
you know, Germany could legalize. Um, just talk about how prepared are you there? Does the sale of C3 hurt you in any way there? Uh, we see, you know, numbers that you Aurora and Tilray with more market share. Just remind us of your strength and how ready would you be if markets start to liberalize there? Thank you. In Europe. Yeah, so um, thanks for the question, Pablo. So, uh, you know, we have a, a robust organization in Germany um, that, uh, you know, I, 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 we, we continue to perform well in that market. Um, but, you know, our, as called out in our comments, our sales in that market were down in the quarter. Uh, C3 doesn't really affect it. In fact, I think C3, Pablo, is a bit of a simplification strategy for us because uh, it allows us to focus in particular on flour in Germany, which, which we think ultimately is beneficial for us. And in terms of uh, when Germany uh, gets to uh, permissibility, our ability um, to uh, ad address the market, supply product into the market is, is super strong. So we think, we're, we think we're reasonably well positioned. That said, most of our activity, most of our attention, most of our mind share is against getting our Canadian business premium and mainstream profitable, focused on premium and mainstream and profitable, and building out that U.S. THC ecosystem. And we're going to continue to focus in those two areas, um, you know, while, while, we, while we wait and see what happens elsewhere in the world. Your next question comes from Owen Bennett from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Hope all well. Um, I just wanted to come back on the Canadian market share. So lots of focus on flower trends, what's gone wrong there and how you're addressing with premium. But if we go back to an investor meeting you guys had with us back in June 2020, and you called out 2.0 products as a big area of focus where you wanted to be the leader and win. Delivery obviously not being great, gross sales down 40% in 2.0 versus a year ago. I just want to get your thoughts on what you think has gone wrong in 2.0 and, and why should we believe that trends there can also improve like, like you're hoping to see flower trends improve? Thank you. Yes, yeah, so if I split out, out 2.0 products, I'll, I'll, I'll chop it into three areas, right? So I'll start with drinks. And I think, look, the thing with drinks, and even as I talked about scaling our drinks facility, the key unlock is if we get movement on equivalency in Canada because we just can't sell the volumes across the market that – uh, would be necessary to get the kind of returns that we want. And, you know, we're hopeful that that comes in the not-too-distant future. I think that would be good for the industry in general uh, and certainly would be really good for Canopy. Um, uh, switching to um, edibles, uh, you know, our, our edibles portfolio has performed reasonably well with the introduction of Tweed and, and TWD um, gummies into the market this year. But on top of that, you know, I think when we talk about our U.S. THC ecosystem, you know, our, our acquisition of WANA, um, you know, makes us ultimately the brand owner of WANA in the Canadian market, which has a 38 share of the gummy um, of the gummy trade in in Canada. And so we, we believe that uh, that that WANA plus um, Tweed plus TWD um, plus uh, our deep space line of gummies uh, in the market will allow us to be really competitive and you know we we um uh we think we can have good margins from that segment of business over time the area that um that we haven't performed to the level that we would like to has been in the area of vapes as a company admittedly we focus a little bit more on um 
uh, on, on flower vaporizers like stores in Bickle. Um, and so, you know, that's maybe taken a preponderance of our attention. But, you know, um, distillate-based vapes, uh, we've, we've lagged the market and, you know, we'll, we're, we're continuing to work in that area to see, uh, see how we can ultimately improve over time. And, and Owen, I, I would just add just when, you know, again, going back to kind of what we want to really achieve from a product portfolio standpoint, we really want to focus on growing and profitable categories, right? So I think when you kind of identify which categories in the market are profitable and are growing, you know, premium segment of the flower category, pre-roll categories, uh, really seeing good growth and, and good margins there. Um, you know, in vapes, I think what you're seeing is the growth in some of the, the premium side of that um, category, too, live resin, uh, concentrates where, you know, the margins are, are, are much better than, and than distillate-based uh, categories. So that's going to be the area of focus for, for us. You look at beverages and edibles, I think that's really about category expansion. So, you know, I think it's a combination of getting the regulatory unlocks, but how can we offer products in beverages and edibles that really provide unique attributes and some excitement um, that can really expand the category. So I think that it's, it's, it's both market share, but certainly focused on category expansion as well. Your next question comes from Adam Buckham from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, David and Judy. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so more of a strategic cue from me, but I want to talk a, a bit more about the U.S. THC ecosystem and what the team is trying to do there. Um, now, obviously, you know, the regulatory backdrop is what it is, and certainly a gray area that becomes hard to comment on. But, you know, in a scenario where it remains unchanged for a longer period of time, you know, how does the team think about creating value for, you know, the investments and carried costs that Canopy has made there? Yeah, so so great question because I actually think this is maybe one of the more underappreciated components of our story, right? So, so we have this U.S. THC ecosystem that's really uh, right now it's made up of an investment in Terrasend uh, and uh, and uh, a, a, you know a seventy percent stake in acreage and ownership of of Wana, and and it's 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 actually a bit of an interesting, I guess. I guess uh, financial markets conundrum because uh, take WANA as an example. We've paid for WANA, so the cash has left our balance sheet, but you don't see the consolidated results coming through our earnings, and you won't see them until we have a federal permissibility event. And so it's it's just a it's an interesting scenario where we have if you if you combine these businesses as a group, our USTHC ecosystem is good size. It has really strong growth, and it's all profitable, right? We just don't get to consolidate that into our numbers, and so and so it's a it's hard to see what's happening in that market. However, uh, using continuing to use Wana as an example, and I could use Acreage and Terrasend as well. In the quarter, Wana opened up the market in Nevada, so they continue to expand their business, continue to grow their business, continue to drive increased profitability which will consolidate into our P&L upon permissibility. So, and I could, again, make the same case for Acreage, which has, uh, you know, its third consecutive quarter of profitability. They've uh, opened up Ohio in a big way, and they just continue to do all the right things to position their business well. And so they can, each of these businesses continue to drive 
uh, value creation in their businesses, which ultimately accrue to us upon permissibility. And so, look, who knows when we're going to hit a permissibility event. I think we're seeing a lot of, um, continue to see a lot of positive momentum, and it's certainly, in my view, a question of uh, when, not if. But we're, we're just not waiting. With this THC, US THC infrastructure that we put in place, um, you know, the, the, we're continuing to create value. Those companies are continuing to create value that accrue to us uh, when we get to the permissibility event. Your next question comes from Doug Mayam from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much. Um, I, yeah, I just wanted to, to follow on some of the conversation as it relates to the premium uh, market in Canada. And maybe what you could delineate for us is, uh, could you talk about the size of that market on a market share basis right now and where you might think that could go to over the next year or two, you know, taking into account more mature markets in the U.S. And I'd really like you to um, spend a little time, if it's possible, um, just walking through what's going on on the craft side of the market because, you know, they originally took 20% uh, of the market, and it appears they've even taken more when most people believe that um, they would start to reverse at some point. And that may still occur, but I just want to get your thoughts on, uh, uh, you know, what you see happening in the market over the next year or two. Thank you. Yes. Hey, Doug, thanks for the question. So I'll provide some color on market share, and I'll turn it over to David just to give a, a bit more color um, on our strategy. But, you know, when you look at the, the, the flower category, um, you know, I think the, certainly as we've talked a lot about the value flower segment in the past, premium is a sizable category in the market, right? So when you kind of look at the, the total flower market, um, the value is still around 50%. But when you look at the premium mainstream, again, it's it's a 50% of, of that remaining market. And our expectation is that premium uh, flower segment is going to be the growth driver uh, of the flower category growth going forward. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking at premium really to drive that growth in, in the segment of the market. Um, and I think that is going to be a function of a lot of these new genetics and new strains coming into market. And, 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 and frankly, that does exist you know, drive that excitement from the consumers. I think the consumers are still trying to find their, um, you know, their footing where a lot of that, that sort of churn is, is happening in the marketplace. But I think as we focus really on the premium um, strains and, and the new genetics that we're bringing to market, that is going to really allow us to win in that part of the market. Dave, you want to yeah, yeah, and so, you know, just a couple of, of just maybe concepts that we think about a lot. You know, I, I believe over time, uh, the cannabis market will look a lot like a, a other CPG categories where there's a, a sizable and growing premium segment and, you know, a sizable and potentially shrinking value segment over time once you get to, you know, total market build out. And, you know, we, we, we like what we can do at the premium end of the market. Um, we get to be more innovative. We get to um, create better offerings for our consumers. We get to charge more for them. Uh, you know, and so so it's just an area that we want to focus instead of chasing uh, things all over the market. And you know, your craft comment is is fascinating because I, I probably sit in the in the in in a seat where I think that 
it, you know, craft probably ends up being, and you see this in other markets like, say, uh, beer, craft will end up being a sizable share of the market, 15, 20% of the market over time. But what I love about what's going on with craft right now is some of the genetics activity that's happening in the marketplace. And we're looking to partner with craft players through our Seven Acres Craft Collective and a couple of other initiatives that we have going on. We just think it's I, I think it's good for the market, and I think it's you know ultimately going to be good for Canopy. And so, um, you know, again, I, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. But I think premiumization is is a trend that you know we clearly want to participate in in a big way. Your next question comes from Andrew Carter from Stiffel. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good morning. So I, w I was a little confused about the kind of this this quarter showing kind of improving revenue growth. You were down three percent. I think you you mentioned an acceleration last quarter. You were down eight percent this quarter. So kind of confused on that. And then second point, could you give us any guardrails around where the fourth quarter is going to shake out on an absolute basis? I know the C3 headwind will it will the decline accelerate before improving? Will improve? Just anything to help us out? Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with um, with my comment, uh, Andrew. So I'd say the comment around improvement is, is you know, obviously when you take a step back and kind of where we've been in, in our business and a lot of actions that we've taken in, in Q3 to really drive distribution gains in, in our U.S. Uh, CBD and CPG businesses, um, really premiumizing our portfolio in the flower side in, in Canada and getting new products to market uh, from a from a you know Canadian recreational market standpoint, all of those actions we feel are starting to uh, stabilize our revenue um, performance. Um, you know for the overall company. Um, admittedly, I think the Canada market is still trying to find its footing, and we do expect uh, more improvement as we get more supply into the into the market. But I think a lot of that actions that we were taking certainly showing up in the record quarterly performance for BioSteel record quarterly performance for SMB. So I do think that the actions we're taking uh, are driving uh, the intended performance on an overall basis. As it relates to Q4, I think I gave um, a, a lot of the, the colors in my prepared comments. I think for Canada, it's a combination of when can we get all the supply of our premium flour in market. And, and as we said earlier, that's going to be phased over the next um, couple of quarters. I think you have to just recognize that some of the headwinds in, in the marketplace as relates to COVID, right? You've got retail stores, and this is not a restrictions um, from from the the government. It's really around staffing shortages because of the the Omicron issues and so forth. So you're seeing some of that intermittent closures. Um, you also have some of the restrictions on you know consumers entering um, some of the stores uh, in certain provinces. So. We just want to make sure that there uh, is a recognition for, for some of the headwinds. For C3, as I called out earlier, they generated about $16 million in Q4 of last year. Over the course of this year, C3 contribution has become less and less as we face some of that competition in, in the marketplace. But again, we have to lap that, that um, um, uh, sale uh, from, from from that perspective. And then I think for, for the bright spots in the quarter will continue to be scaling up biosteel and getting distribution. Um, and then obviously um, stores and Bitco continuing to see good momentum with, uh, with the new products that they've rolled out. 
Your next question comes from Michael Lavery from Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. <clears throat> Good morning. Thank you. Hey, Michael. It's um. It, it, it sounds like it's the right move to to reset some of the thinking around your your revenue targets and you know at least walk before you run and and, and adjust the costs accordingly. It sounds like a lot of that planning to to, to that that reset to have a new plan is is still in the works. But can you give us a sense of uh, either when profitability might be in sight? Uh, you talk about it for the Canadian business. Would would that also translate to the total company, or is, is it really just focused on Canada in isolation? And if you're not ready to give timing for that yet, should we at least expect to hear that uh, like next quarter, or maybe you know timing for the timing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael. Look, as I said um, earlier, we are currently um, going through our annual planning cycle, right? So we've got um, this planning cycle that's underway. As we complete the annual planning cycle, we will share more details, uh, likely in our next quarterly earnings call, um, around some of the key milestones that we're really focused on in, in, um, in providing some of that details. You know, if you just take a step back, as we said earlier, we do um, really focus on Canada becoming profitable. Um, but there are strategic growth areas that we really are excited about, and you see that in the performance of BioSteel. So we do want to continue to invest behind BioSteel. And then obviously U.S. THC strategy, where to David's point, we don't get credit for any revenue or profit contribution, but we think this is really the, the um, potentially the, the great long-term opportunity for canopy shareholders. So investing in that THC strategy right now, we think is the appropriate course of action. So all of those um, are kind of you know how we think about it from a high-level standpoint. Uh, but we'll share more details in the next quarterly call. There are no further questions at this time. You may please proceed, Mr. Klein, for final remarks. Yeah, so thanks again for joining us today and appreciate the thoughtful questions. Uh, so in summary, we've developed a clear strategy that will deliver a path to profitability for Canada by focusing on areas where we have a right to win with premium brands backed by operational excellence and scaled through unparalleled distribution. There's never been a better opportunity to invest in Canopy. We're building something unique in the cannabis industry and our true value has yet to be realized. I look forward to updating you at the end of Q4 on our progress against these ambitious plans and our path ahead for FY23. Our investor relations team will be available to answer any additional questions. Thanks again and have a great day. This concludes Canopy Growth's third quarter fiscal 2022 financial results conference call. A replay of this conference call will be available until May 10, 2022, and can be accessed following the instructions provided in the company's press release issued earlier today. Thank you very much for attending today's call and enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.